This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, today and for the whole month of August, we are reflecting on artists who are no longer with us. We asked you, the listeners, via our Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook page, what artists and songs you would like us to discuss, and Tony Sly was pretty unanimous. Tony was, of course, from the Sunnyvale, California punk rock band, No Use for a Name. And together with my co-host and producer of this show, Chris Fafalius, we take a deep dive into their fan favorite single, International U-Day, taken from their 2002 album, Hard Rock Bottom. This band was a huge part of the early 90s punk rock movement, along with all of their Fat Records alumni. And we hope you like this episode as much as we did breaking it down. Enjoy. Yeah, it wasn't surprising at all to me that this was one of the first uh, artists that people requested, especially in our world of punk rock. You know, Tony Sly and No Use for a Name were very beloved and rightfully so. And then we put it up to a poll in there of which song to do. You know, I would have thought maybe Soulmate and people overwhelmingly voted for International U Day. And I understand why. This is just such a relatable song. And I'm really happy to be talking about this one today. Absolutely. You know, and this band, you have a history and punchline with them. You actually did a full tour with them. And I'm sad to say that Less Than Jake never did. We did a, a festival or two appearance with them uh, over in Europe. I remember hanging out with uh, Matt Riddle that day. He came on our bus and, and we, we hung out and had some drinks. And uh, he's always a good time. And, and, and what a bass player. I mean, in his history coming coming from face to face, which, uh, you know, that, that whole sound, uh, I feel like he, he created created a, a whole genre of lead bass. Yeah, <laughs> just, for sure. <laughs> just just ab- absolutely incredible. And this band's got a lot of history. You know, they were formed in 1986, and pretty much the two constant members were, of course, Tony and Rory Koff on drums, who is just an absolute shredder. Rory is just, just so good. Uh, they released a record, uh, their first one in 1990, called Incognito on New Red Archives, which uh, was later re-released by Fat Records, and their last record was 2008's Feel Good Record of the Year, uh, in all eight full-length albums. Yeah, I think that I could speak for a lot of people who are around my age in that Soulmate, the song Soulmate, is what opened the door to No Use for a Name for me when I was first getting into punk rock. I had a false memory that Soulmate was on that very first Fat Records comp, Fat Music for Fat People. It was not. It was actually a different song that was on there. But Soulmate was on so many 
I know my friends and I loved video comps, like VHS video <laughs> comps. Oh, yeah. Soulmate was always on those video comps, and the video was of this girl who was a snowboarder. I, I remember that, and I think it kind of loosely went along with the lyrics of the song, but that kind of opened the door to me. I remember buying that album, Leche Con Carne, at the record store. I loved that album, and then... You know, they were just one of those staple bands, Fat Records bands. They were just part of the world of music that you loved. And then, you know, a decade later or so, maybe a little bit more than that, like you said, Chris, I got to tour with No Use for a Name. I looked it up on tour archives. I Googled it. It was in February and March of 2006. The other bands on the tour were I Am the Avalanche and Versus the World. And uh, we started in like Cleveland, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis. But then we did, this was the first time we ever did like a extended Canadian tour. We did Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, all these places and made our way down through, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest and into California. And on that tour, Chris, it was my first ever, 2006, it makes complete sense, my first ever YouTube that I posted. It was this real grainy video uh, taken on like a digital camera of, and you could still look it up if you type Chris Punchline, no use for a name. They would let me come up and play bass. Matt Riddle would let me play bass on Soulmate. And then, you know, he would stand there and still do the backup vocals and like, you know, give me the horns while I'm playing bass. And it was so cool. They let me do that. That is awesome. I remember you uh, sharing that video with me. And uh, why don't you post it in the Facebook group? That'd be great. And for everybody out there that's not part of our Facebook group, I know some people don't want to be on social media. I always say just create a fake account, put a fake name, put a picture of a flower as your <laughs> avatar, whatever, and come join our group. We, we, we'd love to have you. It's, it's so interactive and, and it's great. But Chris will post the video of that in there you know i'm glad you mentioned the canadian thing because fat records uh is just huge they've always been huge in canada lag wagon no effects uh you know no use always did very well up there and, and you had to see the power of, of that right oh absolutely i mean it was the coldest time of the year too it was february and march in like <laughs> winnipeg <laughs> and uh and yet People came out to the show. People because were going crazy. I know. We I, The first time an agent put us up there for a cross-Canadian tour, Vancouver, all the way over to, Mo to Montreal, it was in January. I'm like, why are we going up there? Who's going to come out? And they're like, oh, these people are cooped up. They mm -hmm. will come out. So <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and Chris, Fat Wreck was such a big part. I was right at the right age. I was just becoming a teenager, getting into punk rock, and there was just this whole team of bands on this record label and you'd get these free or almost free compilation CDs either at the mall or at a show or something and your whole your whole mind your your ears would be exposed to this whole world of cool bands that had a common thread of fast beats and cool songwriting and relatable lyrics and you know once again no use for a name we're right in the heart of that you know straightforward songs that uh hit you hit you right in the heart you know sure yeah the, it's always been a lyric thing with these guys and uh the people that talk about this band they always mention the lyrics and what you just said how it hits them in the heart i don't recall actually when i first heard no use i do remember seeing soulmate on 120 minutes I doubt oh. that was the first. Yeah, I doubt that was the first time that I heard the band. But uh, that track Soulmate was from 1995's Leche Con Carne, which you had mentioned a, a bit ago. But I think that was my first introduction uh, to the band. 
So Matt Riddle, he came on board on 1997's Making Friends, and Chris Shiflett also made his debut on that record. Chris also played on 1999's More Betterness uh, before joining the Foo Fighters and being replaced by Dave Nassie, who's a ripper, uh, for 2002's Hard Rock Bottom, which features the song International U-Day that we're going to talk about here in a bit. The lineup for that record was, of course, Tony, uh, Dave Nassie, Matt on the bass, and uh, Rory cough on the drums. Tony's last No Use for a Name show took place in Montebello, Quebec on Friday, June 15th, 2012, and his final solo show, final show of his career, took place in Gainesville, Florida, of all places, with Joey Cape. They were on a uh, solo acoustic tour together at the High Dive on Sunday, July 29th, the final song being a cover of NoFX's Linoleum, played by both Tony and Joey. And uh, Tony, unfortunately, passed away two days later on July 31st, which was 10 years ago yesterday. I didn't know that it was going to work out that way. We were deciding what episodes to do. And I was like, wow, the day after, the, you know, the day this comes out will be the day after the 10-year anniversary of his passing. I was like, wow. You know, that was just happenstance that, that we did that. You know, it wasn't planned. But, well, I can't believe it's been... 10 years. I remember that like it was six months ago. I know. And it was it was a crushing blow to the punk rock community. Uh, Tony's wife, Bridget, and their children. I've seen them at a couple war tours. I remember talking to, to her not too long after Tony passed. And there's just no words to, to say to, to a family. Again, it was a, a crushing blow to the punk rock community. I don't know if you know this, Chris, and this is just so impressive. And it just shows you how prolific of a writer uh, Tony was. Aside from No Use for a Name, he had a bunch of solo records that he put out that were very well-received and, and well-liked. Well but did you know that he wrote every word and every note on these No Use records? I was looking to see just, you know, I figured he wrote this song, International U-Day, that we're going to talk about. But I just wanted to make sure, you know, before we did an episode, and like, oh, no, that was another guy in the band. But... I did notice on this album, yeah, it was all Tony Sly songs. I didn't know it was every no use for a song ever. It, it, it's in, it's incredible. I, I That is just remarkable. And that's not to say that the other guys, and they've had quite a few members over the years, that they couldn't come to the table and write stuff. But he was the guy. It was his band. It was his voice, his words, his emotion that fueled no use for a name. And that, to me, is just, you know... I don't write everything myself in my band. I know you don't either. It's a collaboration. And to see that, and when you do see it, it's it, there's some kind of genius going on there. Yeah, it's very impressive. I just, by the way, I just said no use for a song. <laughs> he writes every no use for a song. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, man, it's impressive. And I'll tell you one thing, too, that I noticed is I did watch some YouTubes of him playing this song that we're going to talk about acoustically. Nothing that I've tried is as simple as this line But without you, my life is incomplete My days are absolutely great I also saw something else that I thought was interesting that should really speak to the songwriter that he is. You know, everything, it was always fast punk rock, at least mid-tempo punk rock with no use for a name. You know, it was it was always presented that way. I saw a cover on YouTube of this song, International U-Day, by a guy named Thomas Oliver. 
I don't know who he is. Not familiar with him. But the cover, but the cover on YouTube had like three hundred thousand plays. From the start, that I'm closer than you think when we're apart. Nothing that I've tried is as simple as this line. Without you, my life is incomplete. My days are absolutely gray. And it's amazing, and I think it really speaks to how good this song and, and, and Tony's songs in general are, that if you didn't like punk rock and you took them out of the style of punk rock and put them into, I don't care if it's pop, I don't care if it's like indie rock or or whatever, put it in that style that the songs are still amazing and beautiful, you know? You know, Chris, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was going to make mention, you know, uh, Bad Religion is guilty of this. <laughs> they write these songs that are breakneck speed, but if you listen to just the vocal, some of these songs are ballads, and I'm going to argue that International U Day is a ballad. You're going to be like, what? Strip away those guitars. Just listen to how slow and where the melody sits. Less Than Jake has a song called Escape from the A-Bomb House. I've always said it's a ballad. Just listen to the vocal. You know, it's very slow where that vocal is in that song. And I think that's why some of these faster punk rock bands were able to garner such a large audience because there was a lot of people that didn't want to listen to really brash punk rock, maybe back in the 80s, Circle Jerks, uh, DRI, different things that were super fast and, and the melodies were screaming at you and barking. This was was singing at you and it was coming from mm -hmm. a different place. And again, you strip away the big guitars and the drums, as you said, that cover is a perfect example of what we're talking about. I've heard also people call bands like No Use For Name. Yes, we call them punk rock. I've heard them described even as melodic hardcore. Yeah. I know you've probably heard that terminology before too. It's just that is what it is, man. It's this combination, especially when you're younger and you have a lot of angst and aggression. You still want that part of it. You want to be able to mosh to it. You want to be able to let out your emotions to it. But at the same time, it's those hooks. It's those uh, melodies that really reel you in. And I'm I'm the perfect example of that, man. Those like punk rock, punk rock bands. I mean, there's exceptions if something's catchy, but like, that's not what I liked. I came from a kid who liked pop music, who liked Huey Lewis in the news yeah. as a kid and got into punk rock. And it was just kind of the same kind of melodies and subject matter put to fast drums and energetic, fun live shows and stuff. Sure. You know, it, it totally makes sense. You know, I had mentioned Bad Religion, perfect examples, a song called You off of No Control. Just listen to that, Mel, you know, there's a place where everyone can be happy. It's the most beautiful place in the whole fucking world. It's made of candy cane, the play that fried red juju trains, and the meanest little boys, buses and little girls, and you know, I wish that I could go. Where that sits right there. That lyric, if you take away the drums, the fast drums, you know, these were, were very singable and, and easy, <laughs> easier to digest than some of the thrash and, and punk rock that was coming out in the 80s. And, and man, no, no use did it great. I mean, it makes sense why 
there are certain people from the world of punk rock who then go on to produce and write for pop artists. Tim Armstrong is a good example. Yeah. He went on to produce and write for lots of pop artists. I'm sure there's lots of examples of that. And it makes sense because when it comes down to it, Chris, I can't completely speak for all of your musical taste, but I think you're kind of on the same page as me that when it comes down to it, man, we like pop music. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we're, we're drawn to. We're not, you know, I, I'm not like listening to the sex pistols in my free time. I like pop music, you know, but man, that run that epitaph and fat records had in the early nineties, oh, yeah. you know, and of course we've talked about it a, a million times on this show, you know, the explosion of punk rock in 1994 with MTV and, uh, the Offspring and Green Day, that whole thing that happened. Uh, of course, Rancid, uh, Without Come the Wolves in 99, but No Use was right there, strung out, no effects, Pennywise. They were just uh, part of the fabric of, of, of that whole scene. want to jump into the, to the track right now, if we can, Chris. It's two minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, the intro has a little bit of guitar feedback and some cool hi-hat work, really cool hi-hat work, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Again, Rory Koff, the drummer, is just a shredder. Uh, and that's for four bars. And then a two-note guitar jangle panned left and an octave guitar panned off right come in for four bars. And then a killer halftime groove. Bass, drums, those octave guitars and stereo guitars come in for eight bars before an abrupt stop happens. I'm sorry that it took so long to write this song, but I gave up. You see, one million words can't describe how it feels to know your love. And man, you know, when we were talking about doing these episodes of artists that are no longer with us. It's this moment right now that, that uh, I wish he was here to go, what is this, what is this about? And I can only surmise that uh, this, this feels like a, a love song and maybe it was dedicated to his wife. You know, I can only take away what I'm, I'm reading and hearing here, but to me, it sounds like a regretful love song. It sounds like whatever went wrong in this relationship, Tony is blaming himself for it and not vice versa. You know, there's a lot of songs where it sounds like accusatory. It sounds like this is a self-reflecting, like in one way or another, I messed up. And yeah. you know, that's what I that's what I take away from this first verse here. And on the first three lines, that two-note guitar is panned off to the left, and there's like this backward symbol, and then the the two-note guitar octave is off to the right. And the last two lines here, you see one million words can't describe how it feels to know your love. Uh, there's this big tom buildup with the stereo guitars and bass into a snare roll and a pick slide panned off right that now gets you into the uh, pre-chorus number one. So that was the verse here. And, and yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of longing for something for somebody and, and, and kind of accepting blame. A couple things that I want to note about this is number one. 
in this song, and I know we were touching on this uh, a lot, but the song is powerful and upbeat, but at the same time, there's a sadness to the chords and even the octaves in this song, there's, there's a sadness to it. What's the explanation musically for that sadness? It's just the chord choices. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, the, those the, the sad chords are the minor chords. You know, and mm-hmm. it goes to that F sharp minor in this song at some point. I believe it's an F sharp minor. Um, <laughs> I, it's okay. <laughs> when I, I think I think that's what chord it was. But there, there's definitely minors in here. Yes, those octave guitars, as you mentioned, are very haunting. And Tony's delivery here. You know, he was. And I, I don't say this in, in, a, in a, a bad light at all. He was kind of sang monotone you know um there was definitely melody going on but there wasn't these huge jumps between highs and lows and and that adds to the somberness of this track of of his vocal delivery this song also i think in a way at least in this part how it goes down so low for this first verse it kind of fits in that world of quiet loud you know that that thing that was so popular i mean it's always going to be popular, but especially at that time. How many times are we going to talk about Nirvana and the Pixies and, and what was going on there? I think this fits in that world. Maybe instead of quiet loud, this might be quiet, loud, and fast. <laughs> you know, that, that might be the way to put <laughs> well, it. Well, yeah. I'm not saying don't believe in someone that you Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Hey, everybody. I'm sure you've heard us mention the Chris to Makes a Podcast supporting cast many times on here, but I'm going to mention it again. Going to ChrisToMakes.com and signing up for our supporting cast not only allows us to continue making this podcast, but you'll also get bonus episodes of the After Party each week. When you sign up at ChrisToMakes.com, you'll instantly get access to our entire back catalog, which includes the episode titled Worst Songs Ever, in which Chris and I go through a list of songs we found on the internet, which are supposedly 
the worst songs ever, although we don't necessarily agree. Here's a clip from that episode. It to you, Chris. Yeah, we laugh because it's a song about thongs. But have you listened to this song recently? I have not. No, I, I, I of course I know this song. I don't. You'd have to be living uh, uh, in, in a bunker 500 feet below the the, the Earth's core to uh, uh, to not have heard this song. But no, I have not listened to it recently. What's up? The string arrangement in this song is insane and awesome. Like the production of this song is amazing. And yeah, it's funny. It's about thongs. Whatever. You gotta pay attention to the music in this song. The strings in this song, which are performed by violinist Bruce Dukov, are inspired by a strings cover of Eleanor Rigby, and it is absolutely insane. I think this song is kind of a masterpiece, honestly. Well, I'll have to go back and listen to it. I will tell you off the top of my head, this wouldn't have been one that even probably made my top 100 worst songs, just due to the fact that, you know, especially dance type of music, they're... uh, I hate being cliche here, but the, the, the term sex sells. And sex is always going to be a part of music and rock and roll. And talking about the thong and the booty and, and all that kind of stuff, is it, it sells records. And, and a lot of times it can be really fun. Uh, this isn't something that I ever find myself driving down the road listening to. But I would not I would not consider this a worse song. Dude, and it's so funny, too, because Cisco, who famously has usually like white or silver hair, claims that the first time he saw a thong, it turned his hair white, kind of like what happened to Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, which is really <laughs> funny. Uh, another- if you'd like to hear this whole episode, plus a giant back catalog of episodes, plus a new episode each week, plus allow us to continue making Chris Demakes a podcast, head on over to ChrisDemakes.com and join our supporting cast. Thanks, everybody. And now back to the show. And, and of course, this was uh, produced by Ryan Green, who was kind of the house engineer uh, producer for, for Fat Records. Ryan started out producing Punk and Drublick, uh, of course, by No Effects. Right. And, and from there, he did a ton of, of Fat Records projects. And by this time, 2002, he was firing on all cylinders. This, this track sounds great still. Yep, sure does. Yeah, it sound, sounds amazing. Well, we get into pre-chorus one immediately after uh, verse one, and I'm going to read these lyrics. We'll talk about them a little bit. Uh, I wrote here that uh, here comes the fat wreck beat. Uh, it's that it's just it's just tearing your head off. But again, peel that fastness and that that quickness away and and the melody's still sitting there i'm referring to it as as kind of a ballad and i think again that that goes to the the, what you were talking about a moment ago of tugging at your heartstrings how how it hits you The lyric here is, where did I go wrong? I should have told you from the start that I'm closer than you think when we're apart. Nothing that I've tried is as simple as this line. I mean, when I read those and I was thinking about it, to me, I interpret that, knowing that Tony Sly wrote this, I interpret it as the distance that tends to happen when you're away on tour, which it can cause, I'm sure you know as well as I do, Chris, it can cause in certain circumstances, bickering, strained situations, frustration, and maybe a lot of the nice things you might say might get pushed to the side for 
frustrated things or fights or, you know, arguments and things like that. That's what I took away from this pre-chorus. Sure. And you wonder what he was saying there exactly on the last line. Nothing that I've tried is as simple as this line. Did he give away the line that he said in this pre-chorus or somewhere in the song? Or was it a, a line of BS that he had fed somebody? Or oh. what, 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 is, what, what is he speaking of there? I interpreted that as as simple as this line, meaning this next line that's coming up in the chorus. Without you, my life is incomplete. My days are absolutely great. That's what I took away from that is as this line that I'm about to sing. I uh, didn't even think that. That's a great angle, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, because that could absolutely, absolutely be it. That seems obvious to me. Once again, people can disagree with us. That's what's interesting about these episodes that we're doing, is we kind of got to... We kind of got to guess or make our own theories about these things. Yeah, and again, I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep hammering this point. Uh, join our Facebook group because we'll be having a discussion about this uh, this week in detail, I'm sure. And I, I'd love to get everybody's opinions out there. Everybody's uh, opinion is as valid as ours as, as far as Chris and I are concerned. So we, we would love to hear from you. This pre-chorus, again, that fat wreck beat, it's just, it's just kicking your butt. There's drums, bass, the stereo guitars, and that octave is panned off left now. And it is loud, that octave. And it's just hitting so hard. The last line, nothing that I've tried is as simple as this line. It goes halftime there. And it's just, it's so heavy. You know, Rory, the, the way that he constructs that, that it's not just halftime, do, do, da, do, do, da. It's just the way that it's played. It's so heavy. That is a perfect transition. Absolutely. At the, about the, exactly the one minute mark, we're at chorus one. First line without you is Tony by himself, which I think is great because we've talked about this on the show before. It's kind of personal without you. He's addressing that himself. And then all the back lines until every single day, the last thing he says here, all these other lines have harmonies. It's the first harmonies you hear in the song and they're great. I'm going to read these lyrics now. Without you, my life is incomplete. My days are absolutely gray. And so I try to let your heart know for sure that I have so much more to tell you every single day. And again, on every single day, that last line, that's Tony alone. What do you take from these lyrics, Chris? First thing I want to say here, Chris, is that without you, my life is incomplete. My days are absolutely gray. That line, that melody, to me, that is the song. Yes. That is what makes this song so special. That's why everyone voted for us to do this song. Regardless of the verse lyrics and everything else, there's not a person out there who can't in one way or another relate to that line. And, you know, we all have one person that we have felt that way about, do feel that way about, and... This chorus feels so sincere and powerful. And once again, the chords and the melody have a real melancholy feel to them. And Chris, how much harder does this hit now? You know, I can't imagine being someone who is close to Tony and being able to listen to this song without just becoming overcome with emotion. Like, I feel that way. I only knew the guy from one tour. And it gives me chills thinking about that, how... 
someone could feel what he's singing here about him, about having so much more to say, to tell him every day, and how their life is incomplete and days are absolutely gray. I mean, how hard does this hit 10 years after his passing? Yeah, and I, I think that you're absolutely correct. This uh, this lyric here, these two lines completely encapsulate what this song's about. Without you, my life is incomplete. My days are absolutely gray. And Man, something I haven't thought about. Let me rewind the clock about 12 years, 13 years. I had this uh, beautiful home out in Tampa at the time, uh, right on a lake, and uh, had gone through a breakup. I remember sitting on my porch, and it'd, it'd be early morning. I'd, I'd just be sitting out there alone, my dog and I, and I'd be looking at the the birds flying over the, the lake. There might be an alligator sitting out there. Nice little breeze is coming by. The most beautiful blue sky you could ever want. And my day was gray because I was hurting so bad. That sky was black to me. And I have not thought about that until you mentioned this line and how we've all felt like that. And boom, it took me straight back to, to that uh, that time period. And, it, and again, again it's, we've talked about it on the show. It's funny how music can do that to you. Isn't it crazy how like the most beautiful day, you know, like you almost want the weather to match <laughs> or like you want what's going on in the world to match how you're feeling. And it, it isn't, you know, there's just a, a haze over you when you're going through something. And, you know, Chris, not to downplay. I mean, we've both had our share of be it breakup, divorce, whatever. We, we've both been through those kind of things. But what an extra level grieving is that line that chorus speaks to whatever you want it to tony kind of obviously is writing about a relationship in this song but that could be related to a breakup that could be related to the grieving process anything you know it really goes above and beyond what maybe the original intent was of the song yeah for sure and after chorus one we go into an eight bar reintro Again, just so heavy. It's that halftime groove that we hear at the top of the song. Eight bar reintro with stereo guitars and an octave guitar doing the two note part of the intro. So it's it's that uh, those small guitars that you hear, the, the two note guitar off to the left and the octave in the intro, they're now big and just makes this part sound absolutely huge. I love this reintro. Verse two happens immediately after this eight bar reintro. I swear I'm giving up my inside to the one that I adore. I know this world is big enough for you and I, but I'll give you more. So it's almost like here where you almost feel like he's still in the relationship, like it's not gone yet. Yeah, this was one part. I had a lot of questions about this. The I know this world is big enough for you and I line is one that I'm really not sure about because I thought my interpretation anyway of this song was about physical distance from each other. But that line, I know this world is big enough for you and I, that line made me feel like it was the opposite, that maybe him and his significant other felt cramped by each other, which can happen when you live together or you're too up in each other's business if you're codependent, that the world feels small, like you feel like you can't 
oh, I'm, I'm just suffocated, you know? That line makes me think that someone said something like, you're suffocating me to him, but he knows that the world is big enough for him and that person. I, I, I was a little unclear about what this lyric meant. This would be very interesting to hear what it was, you know? Right. And and we've talked about this. If you, you ever wonder why certain songs hit certain people, certain genres? It's because music is all subjective. You take away different things. You and I sat here just now on just on verse two, and we're maybe thinking different things of, of what it could mean. And I'm sure when we hear from people in the Facebook group this week, they're going to give us their take on it and what they take away from it. And it might move some people. It might not. Maybe they never went through something like this in particular, and maybe they, they don't feel that emotion, but you and I have, and, and, and we feel a certain thing from it. Verse two goes immediately into pre-chorus two. I love when a lyric is different than the first time. Yeah. Uh, not not all the time. Sometimes you need to hear that hook, but I think you needed the information here in pre-chorus too. Uh, this octave guitar panned off left here is, again, super loud, but man, it adds to that melancholy sadness that you're talking about. I'm going to use a, a crazy adjective to describe this. It feels like the octave guitars are crying. Right. I mean, and I totally agree with you that we needed more of the story here. I'm glad we're not hearing the same lyrics again here. And Chris, there's a slight lyric change later in the song that I think is one of the best parts of the song. We'll get to that eventually. But yeah, I agree that, you know, in these lyrics here, which, okay, you're, you're going to read the lyrics. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. Sure. Yeah. We'll get into pre-chorus two right now. And uh, again, got a lyric change here. I'm coming home today to wipe the teardrops from your eyes. I'm totally enamored by your life. Nothing that I've done has ever been for one. On that last line again, like pre-chorus one, the drum groove goes halftime there. There's no harmonies here, no vocal harmonies. You got them in, in verse two, but there, there's none here. They're, they're being saved for the, uh, for the next chorus. But uh, what, what are you thinking about these lyrics, Chris? Now I once again, whereas those last lyrics, I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't about physical distance from each other. Now it's right back to, now I think it is about distance because he says, I'm coming home today. And I know, Chris, that I related to that or what I put that to in my mind is I thought about all those tours or be away for a month or two or the whole summer or whatever. And it's getting to be that last couple days of tour. And I couldn't wait to get home and go see my girlfriend, whoever it was at the time that I was with. And you just couldn't like so antsy and so like anxious to get home. That's what that reminded me of. And that to wipe the teardrops from your eyes, that makes me think of like, you know, all the strains that being away from each other caused come home and be like, okay, everything's okay. We're back together. That's what I took away from it anyway. Well, something else that's interesting, Chris, is there's no bridge in this song. Oh, yeah. It, it, there's no real departure, you know, and this song's almost three minutes long. Two minutes and 52 seconds doesn't feel like that. We've talked about that a bunch on this show where, you know, it's like, how can this song almost be three minutes? But it just goes by so quickly, probably because the song's so fast and it's just kind of just moves along. But, you know, your longer parts in this song without vocals are your intro, which is pretty long, and then the reintro after chorus one. But yeah, there's there's no bridge uh, in this track or, or departure. After pre-chorus two, we go into 
into a double chorus at the end, the first half being the same lyric and then the second half changing. Without you, my life is incomplete. My days are absolutely gray. You get harmonies on everything here except that first line. Tony addresses the song by himself in that first line. Without you, there's no harmonies. And so I try to let your heart know for sure that I have so much more to tell you every single day. And then the, the back half here goes to halftime, the whole band. And the, again, can't state it enough. The groove is incredible here. My life is incomplete. My rights are absolutely wrong. That's so the one. That's the that's one, the right? Yeah. <laughs> so wake me up before you leave today. Something I need to say, because there will be nothing when you're gone. Dude, that my rights are absolutely wrong. That's what I was referring to <laughs> a couple minutes ago. That hits hard, because to me, what I took away from that is when we're having problems in a relationship, being able to say that you're wrong is sometimes really hard. Him putting it in song here, putting it on the record, quite literally, mm-hmm. I made a note of, putting it on record seems really important. And, you know, And if Tony were live and on the show, I'd love to hear what he has to say about that line. I would assume that by the time you write a song and you record it and you pl- maybe the person who it's about hears it, by that time, whatever issue you were having at the moment is probably either resolved or you're not together anymore. But that person hearing that line, the my rights are absolutely wrong line, to me, I think that would that would hit hard. That to me is just such a powerful line. Yeah. And I think the the hardest part for me of doing these episodes when the artist isn't here is is not being able to ask some of those questions. Like I'm wondering about the harmonies. I always wonder about that. Why'd you put the harmonies here? Why why didn't you have a harmony on without you, that first line, you know, because it hits me that there's no harmony there. It makes it feel personal as well as the last line on the first half of, of, of the chorus here every single day. That's Tony alone. The last line here is also Tony alone. The very last line of the song, because there will be nothing when you're gone and uh, there's no harmonies there on the line gone that's just tony alone with a single clean guitar strummed panned off left it's just like really simple but so tastefully done these lines where there aren't harmonies i think you're hitting it on the head by saying that tony and you know bandmates producer whatever wanted that to be personal Wanted it to sound sincere and and coming straight from his mouth, almost like it's spoken. And that makes sense. I mean, for all we know, it could just be like, oh, we put harmonies here because it sounded cool. That could be that could be the case too, you know? Like that happens sometimes too. It's just like, oh, I don't know why I did that. But to me, it it seems 
well thought out you know maybe in retrospect i don't know yeah well we talked we talked to joey cape uh we talked about may 16th ryan green produced that and same thing like why were the harmonies here and he's like oh, i don't know i just kind of where they happen to be and maybe maybe that's the case here with this song we'll, we'll never know but it really always intrigues me it's like why do you put things a certain way and again i can't state enough as i've told you and, and the listeners a million times of how much i've learned in the last two years it's incredible i'm learning every time i do an episode of you know what we got a really personal lyric in this chorus. Maybe I stay off a line or two here. Maybe I make it a little more personal and then have the harmonies elsewhere. I've never thought in, in that context before, Chris, until, until I started breaking these songs down. And maybe some of these moments that feel really personal, maybe people don't even realize they're doing it. Maybe it's subconscious that they're doing this and, oh, yeah, that'd be cool because then it it sounds like it's coming straight for me. I don't know. You know, once again, we can only speculate on these things. Chris, lyrically, one more thing that I thought was interesting or something to think about anyway. That last, the very end of the song, So Wake Me Up Before You Leave Today, something I need to say because there'll be nothing when you're gone. I thought that was interesting because the whole time I'm thinking Tony is the one who's away on tour. But this line made me think that his partner here was also traveling. And I don't know. It's funny. I looked this up, Chris. I didn't know how much No Use was touring around this time. And I looked it up on the same site where I was looking up, like, when did Punchline do that tour? Mm -hmm. And they were on the Warp Tour in 2002. So it was probably in support of this album. But as far as I could find, they didn't really tour in 2001, around the time that I would assume that they were that you know tony was writing this song it seemed like their tour dates before that were from the year 2000 it seemed like he was home for a year so that kind of spun me for a loop in over analyzing the song and trying to figure out why and how and it made me think that maybe i was off on thinking that this was about physical distance while on tour just putting it out there. Yeah, sure. And at the same time, these last couple lines here, it, it, I don't know, was he referring to someone that uh, passed away that was no longer here? You know, there'll be, there'll be nothing when you're gone. Uh, um, and that, that could kind of mean like they haven't left yet, but maybe they already are. And in songwriting, a lot of times you'll write from a first person or third person point of view, and it, but you have to really think about it. And it again, it could mean anything to anybody. That's why. That's why it's so fascinating to me. Uh, song lyrics, in particular, what the, how they hit one person to another. This song feels really personal. I don't think I would bet my life on the fact that this is personal experience. I, this doesn't seem like something you would write being like, okay, I'm going to try to write a song that people could relate to about like getting your heart broken. This does. There's too many specific things in this song that make this like there's no way this isn't from the heart personal from tony's experience sure i i would uh probably agree with that but again to the listeners out there we want to hear from you please check out the facebook group and and we'll get that discussion going i'd, I'd love to hear what uh everybody else's thoughts are because again we all we all take away our own thing nothing is the same everything is a bit change sometimes i see Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, everybody, Chris Fafalius here. As many of you may know, I've played in the band Punchline for most of my life. Well, I'm here to tell you that we just released a new song. It's called Can I Get a Break? And I think the title of the song, which is also the main hook of the song, is pretty relatable to how we're all feeling lately. Here's a little preview for you. 
How many times am I gonna have to start again? How many times am I gonna have to refresh? Cause I put my shoes on every day and I walk out that door I'm getting tired waiting patiently for progress Can I Get a Break by my band Punchline is now streaming at all the places where you can listen to music. So if you like the way it sounds, go check it out. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to ban you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Fire Sale, a punk rock band featuring no use for a name alumni, Matt Riddle on bass. You can find their music on all the streaming platforms, and here's a snippet of their song, Dark Hearts. We talked about this usually at this point, uh, the end of a, of the show, we go into the rap and mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of hard to do a rap because we've been sitting here talking for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> we've but been rapping. <laughs> we've been, we've been rapping a little bit here, but, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of try to do a little recap myself here. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with no use for a name, go back and check out songs such as justified black eye for Fiona. The answer is still no. And of course, uh, this track international U day plus, a ton of, uh, of other great tracks. This band was super important and part of the fabric of early 90s punk rock and beyond. Uh, I am uh, still saddened to this day that Tony's no longer with us. And, and uh, I'm really envious that you got to spend some time with them, Chris, and play some shows. And uh, to, to all the bandmates that have ever been part of, of, of No Use, I uh, just want to say hello to all of them, uh, especially Matt Riddle. I miss you, Matt. If you're, if you're listening, uh, hope we can connect sometime soon. Chris, I can only speak from personal experience, and my personal experience is A, this was an influential band, a band I loved when I was first getting into punk rock. They were a band that helped shape my musical taste and everything. And then years later, in my experience and doing that tour with them, I could say that, you know, the whole band, awesome people, Tony Sly, super nice guy. He was he was a quiet, reserved, friendly guy who 
literally let me come on stage and play a song on bass with him. I mean, I I can't <laughs> I I can't say how like cool that is. I will share that video. It's so grainy. It's like it's like five DPI. It's like a terrible video. It was back <laughs> it was back before we had fancy video cameras on our phones. It was 2006, and I had like a uh, a shitty digital camera, but. <laughs> I can say nothing but uh, but nice things about that guy, about this band. And uh, yeah, man, super influential, super important. Absolutely. And for the listeners out there, if you haven't already, please join our supporting cast at KristaMakes.com. You can check it out over there. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can get bonus episodes each week of the After Party with Chris and I. And we talk about a little bit of everything. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll just <laughs> we just keep talking about, you know, use for a name this week. I I don't know. We haven't decided what we're going to do for the after party for this episode yet, but yeah, that's a lot of fun. We really appreciate and everyone who's a part of that, and it gives us an excuse to keep making more and more podcasts, Chris. What what more could we, could we ask for? <laughs> so once again, go over to KristaMakes.com and sign up for the supporting cast. We'd love to have you be a part. If you haven't already, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. And this episode is dedicated to the one and only Tony Sly. May he rest in peace. We'll see you next week. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.